Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Coming up on today's show, of course, it's summer vacation for kids right now, but they'll be back in class in September. What can they expect? The hockey culture, you know, we've got to deal with it. We've talked about it for so long, but these latest examples show that there's still much work left to be done. What's going on with gas prices? Dan McTague will join us and tell us, you know what? It's straight up profiteering, and we'll chat with a storm tracer. Kids into summer now. Um, I think the last, last day of classes was last week sometime. So it's been, there's probably the, this is probably the first full week uh, of no classes for kids. Remember that time of year, how glorious it was? Oh man, it's just perfect. Uh, so they're going to enjoy the next couple of months. And then of course they got to go back to school in September and uh, we know how that is, but what's it going to look like? Um, there are already some concerns that we could see possibly uh, larger class sizes. We know that things have been really thrown up in the air throughout the course of the pandemic and, you know, fingers crossed things are not, an, you know, pandemic affected once we go back in September, but it's caused a lot of problems. So what are we looking like as we head back? We're going to have a conversation now with Medina Musa, who is the Executive Director of Support Our Students Alberta. Uh, Medina, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, um, so what are you anticipating? I mean, I know it's, it's going to be different in different areas, but generally speaking, what are you expecting to see when the kids go back this fall? Well, we are concerned. You know, the kids have had three years of disruption, three school years of pandemic disruption, right? And, of course, so have teachers. So they've been dealing with a lot of shortages um, and closures and a bit of a roller coaster over the last three years. And we are anticipating um, even more changes coming up in the in, in the upcoming school year. And there are concerns that we've got more teachers that are leaving the profession, and we're going to end up with some larger class sizes as a result and uh, fewer teachers. So we are concerned of what that means for students learning after they've been through so much, and what they need is more supports, not less, more resources, not less. When you talk about teachers leaving the profession in larger class sizes, what are you basing that on? Is there is there any way of quantifying that and saying we know this many teachers are no longer going to be teaching in September? Well, we know that the boards have fewer teachers, uh, particularly in Edmonton and in Calgary. And we also know that uh, more students are going to be attending those, those, those schools. So we've got fewer teachers. Um, that are hired in those school boards and more students returning post-pandemic because, of course, some families decided to uh, choose for on online learning during that time. So mm-hmm. it, it's a bit of a perfect storm with those two uh, two changes happening at the same time. And also the ATA has um, has some surveys out that is showing that there's going that there's just been more retirements, early retirements. So um, that's been caused, you know, there's a couple things happening. So we've got the short-term three-year pandemic impact. Right. And then there's been a long-term impact by chronic underfunding. And steadily, uh, but surely, class sizes have been increasing. 
So, um, and then there's there's been some issues um, by the UCP government that um, choices that they've made that have exacerbated the problem. You know, we've got a government and rhetoric towards teachers that has been very negative. Um, they've had the weighted moving average uh, funding model that's also created um, students not being funded in the same way. And um, all of these things are culminating uh, to put pressure on the t- on teachers and the profession. And I know this is, I mean, these are extraordinary times, no question, with COVID and all the rest. But you mentioned the UCP government. I mean, I covered the teacher strike in 2002. And you know what the issue was? class sizes. And ever since then, class sizes have continued to go up. I mean, it's not a UCP issue. This has been something that's been going on for as long as I can remember. Has there ever been a time where class sizes haven't been an issue in the province of Alberta? No. And you know what? They've actually been an issue everywhere because that is one of, you know, you know, students' learning conditions are, are teachers' working conditions, right? These are, these are, this is completely connected and um, it is, it's fundamental to student success. So that has always been an issue. But what the UCP did do in 2019 is they removed the grant um, to work on class sizes. Yes. And now no one has to report on class sizes. So now we don't even have the data. So that is the big change. And in 2003 is actually when there was a, this program was put in place to address this issue. I mean, it was slow work. It was long work, but at least it was undertaken. And now it's been completely scrapped. So that is a concern because there is no solution on the table to help us deal with that problem. Yeah, I agree with you completely, especially around the data issue in terms of uh, the province removing the fact that they don't have to report back to the province on an annual basis in terms of class sizes. And then the board's coming out saying they're not tracking class sizes any either. Um, how How can we change that? That seems to me, like you say, you need that data. You, you need that information, right? Absolutely. It's a question of accountability. I, I think, you know, we have public oversight for a reason. This is information that all of us deserve to have, you know, everybody in the community and especially parents, but really everybody. This is a question of where are our resources going? What kind of priorities are school boards um, taking and where is the provincial government on this? Why Why are they not requiring this reporting to happen? Um, I, 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 you know, I'm a little bit cynical. I kind of wonder, well, I guess if you're not counting it, you're not held accountable. Well, come on. We deserve more as a public to have this information available to us and to ensure that our students are in a positive learning environment and we can continue to support them in a meaningful way. Yeah, Medina, I think information is uh, is key to any decision that we're going to make. I agree with you on that. Thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much. That's Medina Musa, who is Executive Director of Support Our Students Alberta. And I think she's right. I, I don't understand why we've decided we're not going to track class sizes anymore. Why there, there used to be a system in place where school boards had to report back uh, every year to the province, to the education minister, and say, this is what we've got. This is what our class size situation is. They've done away with that. Now we're going to have a conversation that, you know, I wish we didn't have to have, but we do. We, the bottom line is we do. This is a conversation that we need to keep having uh, until um, something meaningful happens. Because lots of, we, we can, you know, we, we talk a lot about, oh, this is being done, this is, and, and there's a lot of lip service and a lot of campaigns and things that are done around this topic. But 
then we see stories like we saw earlier or last month that really sort of make people go, okay, we've got a problem. I'm talking primary, I'm talking about Hockey Canada. Um, and once again, hockey back in the headlines for all of the wrong reasons. Another very high-profile incident. Uh, as, you, as you know by now, Hockey Canada settling with the victim of uh, a sexual assault incident allegedly involving several members of the World Junior Team from 2018. And, and again, we hear about the toxic culture and the broken system of hockey in Canada, and for good reason. I mean, these incidents make it pretty clear. There are some very, very, very big problems. So let's get into that. And can we fix it? We've talked so much about fixing it, and it hasn't happened. What do we need to do differently? We're going to chat with Dr. Tim Skews, who's an associate professor in curriculum and pedagogy at Brandon University. Um, Dr. Skews, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you, and uh, thanks for taking interest in our story. Yeah, I mean, the, the piece that you put together, uh, I think it makes a number of really, really good points. And, and to start, you know, we hear about these high-profile stories, right? And they sort of make people go, oh, my goodness, what's going on? But but they're in keeping with what has been said about hockey in general for a really, really long time now, right? Uh, you know, this is about culture. This is about toxic masculinity. The same things we've heard about hockey forever. This just exemplifies that, yeah, it's still happening. Yes, um, certainly I agree with that. I, I think our research, and certainly research that has been done before us, has brought this to light throughout decades, several decades. And um, our research uh, for this particular study looked at men between 18 and almost 60. So it, 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 it covers a span of, you know, not just the, the older days when people say, well, things have now, um, they've changed and they've progressed. I think we're seeing that this is fairly entrenched systemically. And when you take a look at, you know, a big tell here, I think, is the way that it was handled, right? When you talk about Hockey Canada has said all these things and implemented all of these programs about changing this culture, but an incident like this happens, and what do they do? Uh, Keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. There's no transparency. We're going to settle it, all these sorts of things. So it sort of belies the point that they're they're not doing what they say they're doing. Yeah, and I think one of the key things that we're suggesting and, and really trying to push for is that to have these open and frank discussions about how boys and men are experiencing elite level hockey. And I think it's critical that to interrogate the practices that influence how men and boys think about hockey culture. You, you know, we're talking about elite hockey here. Is there a, is there a delineation? Is, there, is it different or are we talking about hockey in general? That's a good question. I think my son plays U11, and he's playing in a house league right now. And uh, during the pandemic, they had two separate dressing rooms that the boys would be be going into. And we walked into the first one, and there, there was these, quote-unquote, I guess the alpha males that were loud and boisterous. And he said, I, I've got to go to another room. And then I, as we were moving to the other room, he said, is there a place for me just to say something that even though I'm quiet? So I think this permeates down into it just doesn't stay with an elite level hockey. I think the images that boys and men have permeate down from the elite level. So I think that's a, it's an important observation that you make. Um, I, too, have been involved in minor hockey for, for, for a long, long time. Uh, as a coach, uh, my kids have been involved, all those sorts of things. So I know what you're talking about. I mean, and I think it, I, I was involved with house league hockey, too. And, and you're right. I mean, it's the same dynamic that you see play out anywhere that, that a group of boys get together. So I think you're absolutely right. And, and I've seen some of the work that Hockey Canada has implemented in terms of respect in sport and the training that coaches go through and the training that parents have to take before their parents, uh, kids can be on the ice and things like that. But it, in reality, 
Uh, it clearly hasn't done enough. It hasn't really affected a lot of overarching change. Um, do you think it's it's meaningful enough? What has been done? Yeah, and I, I, again, I think it's really important to suggest not to suggest that things aren't being done. Right. I think, but what you're what we keep hearing from the interviews that the young boys and men that we're interviewing, that it's not enough. And one of the things that I, I think that we hear a lot of and what we're trying to encourage is to say, how do we all come to interrogate our understandings of being a boy and a man? And I think until those conversations are held and that men and boys can start to say, here is my experience and my understanding of what it is to be a boy, because these are all we're arguing that they're constructs that we learn to be through the practices and, and hockey's one set of practices. Obviously society has other ways that men learn this, but we're really trying to say, what is hockey doing to provide a space for boys and men to talk about their understandings of being, uh, of being a boy and a man. How do we do this in a meaningful way? Like, like you and I say, we, we, we've, seen, we've seen the work being done. We've seen the programs being implemented, and it's not having the effect that I think anybody wants it to have near, nearly enough. Anyway, how do, how do we do this in, in, a, in a better way? What needs to happen? Yeah, that's, again, I mean, one of the things, and in the article we tried to point to some of the things that we think would be, would be beneficial at least to engage in this conversation, and certainly um, teaching players about sexual violence, notions of consent, the human value, um, also trying to take a look at what systemically starts to support these things. It's not just individuals acting poorly or reprehensible behaviors. It's systemic. And also, how do we engage boys and men about the brand of masculinity, about what they're trying to say as you have to play through injury? And oftentimes it, it, it focuses on this hyper-masculine certain brand. Uh, and then how do we create spaces then to interrogate these institutional practices? I think what we're trying to put forth is at grassroots level, how do coaches and all those involved in minor hockey start to create spaces for these conversations? And so there's a meaningful critique about how we're teaching and how what boys and men are learning about being a man and a boy. And, you know... I'll come back to these programs. And we, I mean, if you watched playoff hockey, if you watched, uh, you know, the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, pretty much every single commercial break had some sort of commercial talking about how hockey is for everyone and how hockey is inclusive. And there's a lot of PR. There's a lot of campaigns around this. Um, Do you think they follow up or is that just, you know, uh, is that all for show? Yeah, I think one of the things, and, and to your point about the playoffs, I think there's a lot of contradictions that I think that are immersed in this as well. And, and part of the couple of stories that Sportsnet um, advertised or, I guess, promoted as the playoffs were going on is number one was the Nassim Kadri. And they did a special on him about this idea of notion of trash talking. Yeah. And this is something that's applauded. And, and I guess what we might argue is to say, well, okay, there's, there's certain of that, what's going on there. But how do we start to challenge that that's a lead story that forecloses on what would be appropriate and how we talk to our opponents? And then the second story that came out that I thought was interesting is the idea that uh, Tampa Bay um, put forth their injury list at the, end of the, um, at the end of the playoffs. And I think we have this notion that men are esteemed warriors when they work through this pain and, and, and injuries and so forth. 
And we're not suggesting that there, there aren't going to be injuries or hurts uh, within a contact sport. But what we're saying is those kinds of uh, discussions foreclose on other discussions about why and when should men not play through injuries. So I think what we're saying, what we're trying to say is these discussions foreclose on conversations that could see it otherwise. Yeah, and change the thinking around it. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Okay, thank you very much. That is Dr. Tim Skews, who is an associate professor in the curriculum at Brandon University. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Let's do the gas price roundup. We like to do that every once in a while because I'm getting some reports here. I don't know. I'm driving into work now may have changed. Okay. I was coming into work at like, you know, 615 this morning and I was checking because I knew we were going to do this. And the best I saw was 186.9. Okay. It was, it was between 186.9 and 189.9. That's what I was seeing. Uh, but I've got a report here. Someone paid $1.65 a liter for regular at Sutina gas station. Um, by the Southwest Costco in Calgary. Another listener saying, uh, I got gas for, where is this one? Oh, they say that gas dropped 11 cents a liter yesterday in our rural area, which is southwest of Red Deer. So maybe we are seeing it. And I told you, big drops in Ontario, the GTA, seeing about uh, 12 cents a liter coming off overnight. And and more is expected. So let's find out what's going on. We're going to chat with... Um, Dan McTague now. Dan, of course, is the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. Dan, uh, what's what's going on? Twelve cents a liter in Ontario? That really happened? Yeah, and you know, most people who follow GasWizard.ca knew this Monday night. Um, I see there's a Canadian press story out there saying, "Hey, guess what? It dropped twelve cents a liter today." <laughs> you no, know, I saw um, stories from based on your your predictions earlier this week yeah. saying that this was on the way and probably more tomorrow, right? Yep, yep, another three cents down tomorrow, Shay. And so we're looking at. Uh, in Toronto, 176.9, uh, which is kind of remarkable uh, when you consider it's uh, not just, of course, the province dropping gas taxes, not as much as they did in Alberta, but 5.7 cents a liter. We have that HST, you guys have GST, yeah. but ours is 13%. So it works out to about almost a 6.5 cent permanent decrease until December 31st. So it's kind of helped uh, along the way. But uh, all good things uh, do come to an end, unfortunately, and Saturday is not going to be very pretty. Oh, really? Okay, we'll get to that in a second. But help me make sense of this, Dan. I mean, if you guys are taking six and a half cents off, we are taking fully double that, 13 cents a litre gas tax coming off by the province. How on earth are we paying, you know, 10, 15 cents more a litre than you guys are? Gas bar shenanigans. Your gas stations are ripping people off. You think so, hey? I can't, I, I cannot be more blunt. I've tried to, look, I fought for these people back in the 1990s when independents were being wiped off the Mac by their uh, by their suppliers. But 
you know, when it costs a gas station to a buck forty-eight taxes in to buy their fuel, where do they get off selling for a dollar eighty-nine? That's a forty-one cent retail margin if you're in Edmonton. If in Calgary it's one ninety-one nine, then that's a forty-two cent retail margin. Gas stations do extraordinarily well when they're picking up fifteen net cents a liter uh, as a retail margin. Forty. I'm like, come on, guys. Seriously, this is uh, what makes me more up- upset about this is that I'm the guy that tries to resist the idea of regulating gas prices, and uh, because it doesn't work for Canadians. Certainly, speak to Newfoundlanders today who are should have seen a 15 cent decrease and got only six. So, uh, you know, I do try to make the argument that where I can that gas stations have often survived on four, five, six cent retail margins fighting their competitors, fighting their suppliers, fighting, you know, uh, big box stores. But when you, uh, you know, when you had 40 cents a liter as a retail margin, uh, you're really pushing the envelope. And it is truly something that I find distasteful because everybody, it would be fine if it was a couple of days, but it's been going on now for several weeks where it's between 25 and now 40 cents a liter. And they can't turn around and say, well, we know prices are going up on Saturday, so, you know, we're hedging our bets. That is a license to print money, and it's coming at the direct expense of consumers who should be able to expect better from these gas stations that are doing this. Okay, hang on, Dan. That's a pretty heavy allegation. Now, and, and I, we know how this works. Gas stations will say, uh, no, I mean, take the gas that we're selling, this is how much we paid for it two weeks ago, a month ago, three hours ago, all that sort of stuff. So when we track this over time, and when the price of wholesale gas has come down, but you, you can clearly say that we're looking at a 40 cent a liter increase in Alberta right now? Correct. It's a nut increase. You're paying forty cents right, as a markup. retail margin. Yeah, the markup. So it's forty. It works out to buck nineteen point nine is the rack price, and that's by the way the the Edmonton rack price doesn't include any discounts that you might be able to get because you're moving bigger volumes, twenty thirty thousand liters a day, depending on the size of your your operation. But when you are getting and buying gasoline, all taxes in for a buck forty eight, but you're charging a dollar eighty eight. That's 40 cents a liter as a retail margin. Some of that does cost. You have to honor credit cards. You have to pay for your staff. You have to pay for your overhead. You have to pay for the electricity to turn on your pumps. I'm going to give you 15 cents a liter, which is incredibly generous and almost unprecedented. But then how do you explain the other one quarter? Well, how do you spend, how do you explain, uh, you know, uh, tipping off uh, folks uh, for an extra 25 cents a liter over and above that? The fact is you don't, Shane. And for that reason, I, uh, I you know, I'm, I mean, as you can tell, I've just come over COVID. I have very little in the way of diploma, diplomatic language left <laughs> to describe it as anything more than a ripoff. Dan, what about the 13 cents a liter that came off in Alberta? We saw it. It came off, and the next day, prices were 13 cents a liter lower. How much of that 13 cent discount do you think still exists? Oh, I think it all exists. I think that whole 13 cents is gone, and it it hasn't been taken by these companies. But, you know, look, the number is 120. You add 11.05, which is the federal carbon tax, 10 cents, which is the federal. That's 141 times 5. That's 7 cents a liter. That's $1.48, not $1.88. And again, uh, look, I don't have a problem with a gas station. If I saw $1.63, $1.65, you and I wouldn't be having this discussion. But I'm seeing $1.88 and I'm seeing $1.90. And these prices have been lower now for several weeks. We should have seen those drops at least 10 to 15 cents a liter two to three weeks ago. Everybody who's out there purchasing 50, 60 liters a week has now basically forked over to that gas station charging a buck eighty-eight, you know, anywhere from five to fifteen dollars. That's unfair. It's wrong. If there was competition 
then uh, I think there would be a certainly a, a different day, and consumers wouldn't be held hostage by these uh, by these folks that are chiseling the public. What happened in Ontario? Why are we going to see fifteen cents in the course of two days? Is that just the tax change, or what? What else is going on? No, there? no, 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 no. Shay, they, we, that, that was two weeks ago. The uh, the tax change was last week, July first. Okay. Uh, this is the markets. The wholesale price uh, for gasoline right across North America has yeah. Well, oil that's the thing. It's not just unique to Ontario. Why aren't we all seeing that? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the question. And it's not, by the way, just Alberta. It's Manitoba, Saskatchewan, yeah. uh, BC, Interior. They all follow the same wholesale price. And that wholesale price is out of Chicago. That's the spot price. That spot price, uh, you know, as an illustration for today uh, in Chicago, stands at three thirty-three a gallon. If I go back uh, a few weeks ago, that uh, say back to I don't know Thursday of the week before, that number was three ninety-five. So we've seen a net drop of about sixty-two, sixty-four cents a gallon, multiplied by the Canadian dollar divided by three point seven eight five four one. You know, you've seen a net decrease of 10 to 15 cents a litre, but that has not been passed on. And the excuse that, oh, well, we had to pay more for it a week and a half ago is over. That ended a week ago. Yeah. You've sold through all that gasoline. Your replacement cost is 25 cents less. Pass it on, please. Okay, now you were saying another drop on Friday in Ontario, but you're worried about Saturday. Why? I mean, what, what, what's, what's on the horizon for gas prices in our country? As you and I were introduced, your uh, media, your business report, pointed out uh, oil was heading up about five bucks a barrel. Uh, gasoline futures look like they're heading up about 22 cents a gallon. Uh, I haven't looked at the Chicago spot market, the CME yet, but it looks like it's heading in the same direction. So it means wholesale prices in markets like Ontario and Quebec that tend to reflect the prices two days later at the pumps will be heading up about eight or nine cents a litre. So that's kind of where it'll be at. Probably about an hour or so I'll publish on gaswizard.ca the price that I expect to pay there. I'm going to get it wrong for Western Canada because I assumed incorrectly that gas stations would by now be relinquishing right. their, their, uh, these big fat margins. But uh, And I said it'd be down 8 or 9 cents a litre. Fat chance that's going to happen. doesn't matter if you're in Kelowna, Kamloops, Prince George, you know, Lethbridge, uh, Al- uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Regina, Saskatoon, or Winnipeg. They're all clinging to these real fat, unjustified margins. And I, I really, really wish... Uh, they would uh, would they would let off soon because they're only damaging their own credibility. Well, this is the thing, Dan. If you're taking a look at Ontario, okay, they've got they're, they're going to see an eight per, eight cent uh, increase, but they've seen a fifteen cent drop. That's one thing. Here, not we haven't seen a drop in Alberta. We're going to see another eight cents this weekend on top of what we're already paying. You're likely not to see any change. They're going to try to. They're just going to leave it where it is. Leave it where it is. You know, we're doing well, and uh, that forty one cent retail margin will actually be cut down to 31, but that's still double what is a very generous retail margin. And, you know, speak to your gas stations over here. Ask them, what does it cost to run your fuel, you know, your station? They will say, uh, this is the wholesale cost. And they won't tell you about the discounts because I'm not going to discuss discuss that either. If I'm including a 2 and $0.03 cent discount because they're moving volumes, that retail margin now becomes 43 and $0.44 cents a litre, not 40 So all things considered, when they break the prices down, the only thing that where the math doesn't make sense is at the retail level, at the gasoline station level. Now, I'm not sure if that's because there aren't enough independents left. They've been wiped off the market. Mm-hmm. Whatever the excuse, the public is not being well served by the status quo in which they're holding on to 40 cent retail margins. It should drop 25 cents a litre net immediately. Uh, I'm sure we'd all be happy to see that. Dan, great info as always. Appreciate it so much. Thanks for joining us.
Oh, great to be here, Shay. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you bet. That's Dan McTague. Dan is uh, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. Uh, as you heard, he's going to update on Gas Wizard. He, he's uh, a gas price wizard. He's the guy. Okay, let's chat now with uh, Nevin Demiliano, who is with Prairie Storm Chasers. And uh, Nevin goes out and about and looks for severe weather. Hey, hey, Nevin, how are you? Good. I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Where are you? I'm just getting ready to actually leave for a chase today in in Alberta, central Alberta here. Okay, so are we in a situation where uh, you see the potential for some severe weather developing later today? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and July is is kind of our month. And and today some of the things are are lining up for us. Uh, right along the QE two, all the way down to Calgary, we should see some good severe weather. When you say good severe weather, we know what you mean. But uh, what are you looking for in particular? What tells you at this point in the day that hey, this might be a day where we see something? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things is just all the rain that we've had over the last while. And, and now things are starting to heat up and we're going to have a low pressure system kind of move into the province and trigger some of that severe weather. Um, and the hard part is, is finding exactly where those storms are going to be. But I think along the QE2, if you're traveling, you'll probably see a storm later today. Interesting. So what's the, how, do you, how do you go out deciding where to go and how does it work? What's the process for you? You're just about to head out. You're probably got, I don't know, what, three, four, six hours maybe to figure out where this is going to be. What's the plan? How do you do this? Yeah, it's, it's, it starts a few days in advance. So um, I'd say about three or four days ago, we kind of saw that um, the weather was kind of shifting to, to kind of a system that we were interested in, in seeing these storms in. And then as it got closer and closer, yeah, the ingredients are coming together. And, and that's where we start to really pinpoint where um, the air is, is the right, like uh, there's the right amount of moisture in the air and uh, the heat comes in, and so we're going to see some of that clearing of this cloud and then just heat up, and that's where we get those puffy white clouds that we're looking for, and, and all the ingredients come together. And then it's just a matter of seeing which one pops. I, I, I've heard a really good uh, way of analogy of, of describing it is, is just trying to pick where the first bubble in a boiling pot of water breaks the surface. So it's, <laughs> it's not an exact science, but we just know all the ingredients are there. So where are you based? I'm based just outside Edmonton. But uh, we're kind of focusing today on the Red Deer area, but it could be anywhere between Edmonton and Calgary, really. Okay. Now, as a guy who watches this, it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but being from the Edmonton area, it seems like if there's going to be a really good severe thunderstorm, it's going to whack the Pigeon Lake area. It seems to be... Are there corridors? Because I know down around Didsbury, they can get some crazy weather, too. Are there areas that are more prone to it than others? Absolutely. And today's a classic day for... For some of that and a pigeon lake area could definitely be an area that i end up in um the foothills is the biggest reason for that so that uh just the topography rising up towards the mountains really helps get that air moving that direction yeah. and that's what starts to form these storms and then they move off that area and track towards the qe2 and that's exactly kind of what we're expecting today okay when will you know Oh, well, uh, not long. Uh, probably in the next couple hours, we'll be out there and, and trying to figure out which storm we want to be on, and and it'll go from there. Interesting stuff. Nevin, stay safe, and uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for checking in this morning. You bet. And if you're traveling along the QE2, keep an eye out, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it could develop. Okay, thank you, Nevin.
Thanks. That's Nevin Demiliano, who is with uh, Prairie Storm Chasers, and this is what he does every summer. He goes out, and as you heard, he's on the hunt for severe weather. It's kind of interesting, and I, you know, I was thinking about this. Twister was on TV. Was it this weekend or last weekend? I'm not sure. And it, but I mean, I think that's when this whole thing sort of started, right? I mean, that movie came on with the Storm Chasers and all the rest, and I think it sort of became something that we were all aware of that there's people that uh, actually go out and do this. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.